Thanks be to God. Thank you, Canarnies, and thank you, Peyton, earlier. Good morning, church family. Um, today is the fourth Sunday of the month, which means that we will be playing a big giant game of Kahoot together. But before we do that, I want to set the stage for this morning's theme. How many of you have ever watched or heard of the kids' television program, Bluey? All right. It is absolutely wonderful. It is an, if you haven't seen it or heard of it, it is an Australian animated children's television series that follows the adventures of a blue healer puppy named Bluey and her family. In each episode, Bluey, along with her younger sister, Bingo, engage in imaginative games and activities with their parents, Bandit and Chili. Its seven-minute episodes are regularly funnier, more layered, more substantial, and more moving than most anything you are watching on Netflix or Hulu or Prime or whatever you stream on. And I am not ashamed to admit that I have cried in multiple Bluey episodes. Can I get a show of hands of anyone who has cried watching a Bluey episode? I'm glad I am not alone. There are a few of you out there. One of my more favorite episodes is called Born Yesterday. The story opens up on Bluey and her sister Bingo dressed as tourists taking pictures of their mom's bottom as she does yoga. With laughter but yet sternness, mom tries to explain to the girls that they shouldn't take photos of people's bottoms. And in walks their dad, Bandit. Having been asked by their mom not to photograph bottoms, or her bottom, Bluey asks her dad to bend over. <laughs> and he responds immediately saying, no chance, kid, I wasn't born yesterday. And the girls are confused, born yesterday? This is an expression they've never heard before, so Bandit explains it. It's a saying. It means that I've been around long enough to know that exposing my rear end to you isn't a good idea, which then makes the girls giggle, but it immediately gives Bingo an idea. Excitedly, she blurts out, I've got an idea. Dad, can you pretend you actually were born yesterday? To which Bandit replies, oh man, is it too late to bend over? And thus begins, Thus begins the episode, and like he does in so many episodes, Bandit, their dad, is all in with their game. Regardless of how much it embarrasses him or the girls, he now acts as though this is just his second day on earth, and he knows nothing. He abandons, abandons himself completely to his girls to guide him through the day and teach him what he needs to know. It is delightful and whimsical and hilarious and heartworm, heartwarming. He learns, for example, that the giant fireball in the big blue thing is the sun in the sky, and it's supposed to be there. It's okay. It's not going to fall. As they walk through the neighborhood, his girls teach him about birds and names and cars and garbage and not to blurt out random things to strangers at the bus stop. And when they arrive at the park, perhaps a little tired of explaining everything to their dad, they tell him to just look at things and enjoy them, which he does. 
But it's right here in the story where Bandit's playfulness with his daughters accidentally becomes something more. His pretending to be mesmerized by the new sights and sounds around him accidentally becomes real. And back home, the girls release their dad from the game and they thank him for playing along. This thing is driving me crazy, as you can probably tell. It keeps on wanting to slide off. They release their dad from the game, they thank him for playing, but Bandit can't quite seem to turn off the wonder that he has accidentally stumbled into. And with the girls having gone inside, their mum spots Bandit outside with a leaf. And the game with his girls is no longer holding him there, it's the leaf that holds him. And he just gets lost in the intricate veins and flecks and the translucent green shining through from the cathedral of sunlight above. He's lost, but yet strangely grounded and found. And mom asks the girls, um, has your dad stopped playing Born yesterday? And they reply, yeah, okay, just checking. Our lectionary readings for this morning held all sorts of potential for a preacher to go in many different directions. The passage that Peyton read for us from Deuteronomy, where Moses implores the people to listen to the coming prophet whom God will raise up from among them, this is a text that is pointing to Jesus and reminding us that Jesus is what God has to say, period. And that would be a great word to preach. The text from Corinthians about some who feel freedom to eat food sacrificed to idols and some who don't teaches us that love for those around us is more important than being right. Love is preeminent, knowledge is secondary, and that too would be a great word to preach. The story in Mark's gospel of Jesus teaching in the synagogue and how everyone was astounded at his teaching, for he taught as one who has authority and not as the scribes. This story, if we're willing to see it, it kind of confirms what we would learn in the Corinthian story. The scribes had all sorts of knowledge, let there be no doubt, but knowledge divorced from love holds no authority. But in Jesus, love is preeminent, hence his authority as one who teaches. And all of these texts would have led to great and needful messages. But it is the passage in Psalms that most caught my attention this week, and in particular, the first three verses. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Earlier that day when I read the passage, I had read a quote from pastor, author, speaker, Sky Jatani, where he writes, yes, God has organized his world to be useful, but he has also imbued it with the impractical quality of beauty 
to remind us that value is not defined by usefulness. Not all things exist to be used. Some things exist simply to be adored. So that is what we are going to talk about this morning. What it might mean for us to marvel at the works of the Lord, to delight in them, and perhaps like bandit, we might accidentally fall into some wonder and awe. And so, having set the stage, let us, let us now play a game of Kahoot. Get out your phones. Today's theme is the flora and fauna of North Carolina with a little bit of stargazing thrown in for good measure because the James Webb Space Telescope is providing us with some pretty majestic images, things that we can't use per se, but we can certainly adore. So open a browser, go to kahoot.it. During the login process, you will see these three screens. The first prompting you to enter the game pin, second a nickname, the third is a confirmation screen. So Seth, let's go ahead and reveal that game pin. So hit start, and here we go. Here comes our game pin. Seven, ooh, we can mute that. Let's do that, and we'll, uh, we'll bring in the computer audio later. 797-0402, 797-0402. Enter the game pin, begin entering your nicknames, and again, keep them safe for church, because as you can see, they will appear on the screen. When we are ready to play, remember, you can play individually, you can play as a couple, you can play as a parent-child team. And remember also, when multiple people get the right answer, the fastest response scores the most points, okay? So you want to be quick on the draw. This, once again, is a short quiz, just six questions. And as always, we are gonna start off relatively easy. So we got 57 people here, are we all in? We're good? Let's go ahead and hit the start button on the right. Oh, wait, there's a couple more coming in. Okay, we got 60, let's just go for it. Here we go. All right, Kahoot game, NC flora and fauna, and a little bit of space trivia. Here comes our first question. Question number one of six. Which bird holds the title of the official state bird of North Carolina? Is it the American goldfinch, the eastern bluebird, the northern mockingbird, or the northern cardinal? Okay, which bird? There's a hint in the graphic. Okay, there's a hint in the graphic. All right, let's see how we did here. Let's see if, all right, the vast majority of you saw the graphic. Good for you, it is the Northern Cardinal. Let's take a look at our leaderboard. Okay, our leaderboard has one of the bros up top. Very close game so far, let's move on to the next question. Next question, which of the following is North Carolina's official state mammal? And let me warn you, there is not a clue in the graphic, okay? There is not a clue in the graphic. Which of the following is North Carolina's official state mammal? White-tailed deer, black bear, gray squirrel, or red fox? Let's see how we all did. Here we go, the correct answer is gray squirrel. It is C, the official state mammal. Let's take a look at the leaderboard, and it has changed. The Graham family is atop. With 1914, let's move on to the next question. Question number three. Pine straw is ubiquitous in North Carolina and comes from our most common tree, the longleaf pine. The needles forms, form in groups of two, three, four, or five. 
the needles from longleaf pines form in groups of two, three, four, or five. Let's see in just a moment how we did. The correct answer is three. The vast majority of you got that correct. Good for you. All right, I had to go outside and pick up some pine straw needles to confirm this, and it's true. I could not find anything other than a group of three. Let's move on. Let's see the leaderboard has shifted. Miller is on top, and Hyo 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 is second. Let's move on to question number four. Here we go. Question number four. When my dad was in town last October, we fished a lot in our backyard pond. What species of fish is pictured here? What species of fish is pictured here? Is it a black crappie, a largemouth bass, a bluegill, or a red-ear sunfish? Which species of fish is pictured here? Black crappie, largemouth bass, bluegill, or red-ear? Good for you. Largemouth bass is the correct answer. Let's take a look at our leaderboard. Leaderboard has stayed the same. Miller on top and Meg in second, closing in. Let's move on to question number five. And we're moving to space. In the 1990s, the estimated number of galaxies was 100 billion. Recent deep field imaging has increased that number to 200 billion, 500 billion, 1 trillion, or 2 trillion. By the way, this is the number of galaxies, not the number of stars, the number of galaxies. 200 billion, 500 billion, 1 trillion, or 2 trillion. Let's see how we do here. The answer is two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Let's take a look at our leaderboard. And leaderboard has shifted. LC is on top with Cooper in second. Let's move on to the final question. Question number six. Within our local group of 36 galaxies, which of the following galaxies is most easily visible to the naked eye? Is it A, the Andromeda galaxy, B, Ursa Minor, C, Barnard's Galaxy, or D, Draco Dwarf. Those are all real galaxies in our local group. Which one is most easily visible to the naked eye? Yes, most of you got that correct. It is the Andromeda Galaxy. All right, let's take a look at our leaderboard. And by the way, all three people who are, who are shown here, come on up. Meg, in third place, come on up. In second place, we've got Yo Yo Yo, come on up. And in first place, we have Cooper. All right, come on up, you three winners. The prizes today are National Geographic pocket guides to either the night sky, insects of North Carolina, or birds of North Carolina. So who was first? Cooper, come on up, you get first choice. Take your pick. Which guide would you like the most? Um, the night sky. The night sky, there you go. All right, awesome. All right, who was second? You were second? All right, which one do you want? Insects birds. or birds? Birds? All right, Meg, you get, it. you get insects. All right, let's give a hand to all our participants. All right, you can go ahead and go back to our, the screen. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. 
Yes, God has organized his world to be useful, but he has also imbued it with the impractical quality of beauty to remind us that value is not defined by usefulness. Not all things exist to be used. Some things exist simply to be adored. I texted my friend Matt Funk on Tuesday to let him know about my intended direction for today's message because Matt is someone in my life who is as filled with awe and wonder as anyone I know, especially as it relates to space. And in our lengthy text conversation that followed back and forth, one of the things he wrote to me was this, what a shame it is that wonder and awe, thoughtful wonder and awe, are so far removed from our faith generally. And I agree, it is a shame. I suspect you all know this, but wonder is actually good for you. Shout it out if you know the answer. What is Shinrin-yoku? Does anyone know? What is Shinrin-yoku? Nobody? What? Someone said it. Forest bathing. That is what it translates to in English from Japanese, which, by the way, I need to say this, does not mean running around without clothes on in Umstead Park. It means mindfully immersing yourself in nature, using all of your senses, like Bandit, Bluey and Bingo's dad. Forest bathing is simply allowing yourself to be outside and get lost in the moment but fully clothed, for the record. Since growing in popularity in the 1980s, at least 127 academic papers have been written outlining the comprehensive health benefits of exposure to nature and green environments on the human system, on human systems. Nature therapy, or NT, is what this Shinrin-yoku falls under, but nature therapy is a growing field in the practice of medicine. And regardless of where these studies took place, whether it was the UK, Korea, Denmark, Japan, China, the USA, Canada, Lithuania, and regardless of the age or health of the study group, every study revealed health benefits, measurable health benefits, improved sleep, reduced blood pressure, lowered anxiety and depression, improved focus and cognitive function, a measurable decrease in stress hormones, a measurable increase in oxyhemoglobin levels, which means more efficient delivery of oxygen to the cells and tissues. And related to its effect on cognitive function, one of the theories that's coming out of all these studies is called Kaplan's attention restoration hypothesis. And according to this developing theory, natural settings provide a soft fascination, that's in quotes, a soft fascination or wonder that effortlessly captures our attention without requiring intense focus. And this gentle engagement with nature, it contrasts with the constant demands of the directed attention that is often required of us in urban or constructed or work environments. Or said more plainly, this hypothesis, Nature helps our tired and overspent attention to recover, which I think is really beautiful. And maybe this is why Jesus says to us, 
do not worry about what you will eat or wear. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. I think that we tend to read this passage in the Gospels as a logic argument. Birds and flowers, don't worry. Birds and flowers are doing fine. Therefore, don't worry. But could it be that in this text, Jesus is suggesting a practice? Could it be that when he says, look at the birds and consider the lilies, that he is actually asking us to look at the birds and consider the lilies. Because to, to get lost in soft fascination and wonder because that is the actual path to less worry. Could it be that Jesus was ahead of the curve and he knew the benefits of nature therapy before we did? When our psalm speaks of being delighted in God's works, could it be that this is meant as an invitation for us to do the same? Quoting a little bit more from my conversation with Matt, wonder, awe, and delight can't exist by themselves. They're disciplines that lead us to the creativity, faithfulness, goodness, scope, and presence of God. It slows us down and reminds us to be more childlike willing to be surprised and excited, open to subtlety and curiosity. We can't call wonder on cue, but we can practice the habits of attentiveness and engagement. Practice the habits of attentiveness and engagement. I love that phrase, the habits of attentiveness. I think that this is at least in part what our text is getting at, to delight in and study God's great works, birds and flowers and insects, galaxies and asteroids, but also friends and neighbors, mealtimes and rest times, mundane moments and sublime moments, habits of attentiveness in all of these. How many of you have seen the Pixar movie, Soul? Show of hands, Soul. So a good number of you, but not all of you. I love this movie, and I love it for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that the lead character is a jazz musician, a pianist. We're gonna watch a short clip in a minute, but first, and by the way, unmute the computer from earlier. But first, let me provide a little background for the movie. The movie follows the story of Joe Gardner, a middle school music teacher and aspiring jazz musician in New York City. After a near-death experience, Joe's soul embarks on a journey in the afterlife, and he is supposed to go to the great beyond. But in his unwillingness to die, he accidentally ends up in the great before, which is where new souls are prepared for beginning their life on earth. And Joe's soul in the great before is mistaken to be one of the mentors. 
Mentors help the new souls fill up their soul badge with the interests and personality traits, and when the badge is full, they're ready to go to earth. And Joe is assigned soul 22. Soul 22, this stubborn soul who has been in the great before for thousands of years hoping to just avoid earth. In a strange turn of events, Joe is returned to earth with soul 22. They awaken in Joe's hospital room, but in the wrong bodies, with 22 inhabiting Joe's body and Joe inhabiting the body of a hospital therapy cat. As you can tell already, the movie is very realistic and draws heavily upon scripture for its understanding and portrayal of the afterlife. But anyway, without going much deeper into the plot, towards the end of the movie, Joe is back on earth as himself, but he feels purposeless, as though he has just lost his reason for existence. And while sitting down at the piano in his apartment, he empties his pocket with items that Soul 22 had found while he was in Joe's body, while Joe was still a therapy cat. And the memories of each of these items begins to play in Joe's mind. Like the moment this helicopter seed fell from a maple tree, twirling and pirouetting its way down and landed in 22's hand and his fascination. And the moment that 22 first tasted New York pizza and his raptured response. And when 22 hears a street musician performing in a subway and laying down on a city grate that had air bustling upward and more. But soon the memories shift from 22's memories in Joe's body to Joe's own memories from his own life. Memories with his mom, with his dad. And he has an epiphany. And here's the clip.
the memories that flood Joe's mind. Bath time with his mom, listening to jazz records with his dad, pedaling his bike under this canopy of leaves and sun, working with a younger student on the drums, playing piano with his dad, standing on the beach with his mom, coming home on the metro. These are moments in his life when intentionally or not, he was alive to them, given over to them, attentive to them, like 22 with the slice of pizza and the helicopter seed and the street musician. And his epiphany is this, purpose is wonderful, pursuing goals is wonderful, but that isn't where aliveness is found. Aliveness is found whenever we delight in and are attentive to the moment that we find ourselves in. Aliveness is discovered in attentiveness to our lives, which I believe is exactly what our text in Psalms 111 is calling us to. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of honor and majesty is his work. And what are the great works of the Lord that we are to delight in, to study and to be attentive to? A helicopter seed twirling and pirouetting down, yes, but also making a new recipe, a walk around the block, losing yourself in a novel, throwing rocks in a pond, trying to spot the Andromeda galaxy on a clear night, dinner with friends, a conversation in the lobby after church, tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it into the cup for Holy Communion. As Elizabeth Barrett Browning says, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. We just need to practice seeing it. Going back to something my friend Matt said to me, we can't call wonder on cue, but we can participate in habits of attentiveness and engagement. And that is my hope. And if I have nudged you in that direction at all today, it has been a good day. In your Church Center app, you will find a few liturgies that you may find helpful in stirring some attentiveness, a liturgy for going for a walk in the neighborhood, a liturgy for stargazing, or for bird watching, or for fishing. You will also find some suggested practices that may help boost attentiveness, like gratitude journaling, or setting aside specific times during the day to just disconnect from electronic devices. And again, all of that is in the Church Center app on the homepage. But for now, receive this blessing, and then we're going to pray together.
may you delight and take joy in God's great works all around. And may you become increasingly awake to your lives. Let's pray together. God of all creation, we thank you for the wonders of our world and the moments that fill our lives with joy. Help us practice the habits of attentiveness, finding delight in the simplest and most profound and everything between. Help our hearts, help open our hearts to the beauty that surrounds us. Amen.